There's something out there in the dark, just outside your door. Something going bump in the night. In episode 11 of Prelude to a Scream. Silent screams bounce around my head like an impending storm, brewing into a force that will escape in a wild dance of chaos and be lost forever if I don't stop to write them down. Hello and welcome to Prelude to a Scream, podcast fiction by Mark Leslie. This is episode 11 and the story being featured is From Out of the Night. From Out of the Night by Mark Leslie. Although technology dominates our world today, there still exist things that have been with us since we huddled in caves around brightly burning fires and avoided ominous shadows. Strange beings of the night become frighteningly real to us even now as we venture into the 21st century. Unknown things are still out there going bump in the night, a night where most of our dreams are nightmares. Scientifically, we have grown out of the dark ages. But our fears will forever remain among other frightened figures jumping at shadows outside the cave. And perhaps for good reason. Mary's screech from the kitchen came to Jack over a simple old-fashioned baby monitor. Here they come! Jack was in his basement den, putting the finishing touches on another promising non-fiction book about fear and the unknown. On the shelf before him sat several of his more popular published texts, one on Bigfoot, another on the Loch Ness Monster, several on UFOs, and then the books about a popular television series featuring a pair of FBI paranormal investigators back in the 90s. Upon hearing Mary's voice, he leaned away from the computer, ran his fingers along the base of the keyboard, and then turned the screen off. Regretfully nodding to his unfinished project, he got to his feet and headed up the stairs. Unseen by Mary as he reached the top of the stairs, he stood silently and observed his wife peering out the kitchen window. He studied her familiar features, thinking of how often he saw her, but didn't really look. Her worn face gave her the impression of someone much older than her forty-three years. She stood over the kitchen counter, silent for a moment. Her expression told him her mind was racing furiously. When their teenage son entered the room, Mary's head swung to orient on him, her face displaying a queer blank. He gazed curiously at his mother. "'John, the lights!' John clicked the kitchen lights off in haste. He then moved to the front door and locked it. "'Are they back again, Mom?' Mary gazed proudly at her son as he locked the door. "'Smart move! And yes, they're back!' She twisted to look out the window again. "'There go a few of them now to Mr. Hancock's house. Oh, and, and there's another two coming up the side of the street. Oh!' She ducked. "'I don't think they saw me. "'Why are there so many of them this time, Mom?' "'Because they're growing in strength and in number. "'They feed on our fear and prey on our weak-minded. "'They coerce others into becoming just like them. "'And they won't be satisfied until everyone is a bloodthirsty, flesh-eating demon like they are. "'They won't stop until everyone has become.' "'A burst of laughter filled the room, and Mary jumped, "'swinging her head in the direction of the living room. "'A smile of relief crossed her face, and Jack could tell, even before she spoke,' that it had only been the canned laughter of a television sitcom audience. Susie! Mary shrieked. Turn off that TV! The television continued to play. Another wave of laughter from the studio audience flooded the darkened room. 
Mary turned to face her son, a barely controlled panic in her eyes. Listen, John, take your sister and go down to the basement. Tell your father to shut off the den lights and you hide there with him. I don't want those cannibals to get anywhere near you two. Do you hear me? As Jack watched them, a wave of nostalgia overcame him. It was so obvious her only concern was for her children. She was willing to sacrifice herself for them without a second thought. It made Jack pine for the days when their own love had been so unselfish. But that had been years ago, before the relationship had evolved into something more mature, something increasingly less demonstrative. It was nothing like his active love for his writing. It was simply there. While John went into the living room to get his little sister, Jack moved silently into the kitchen. His eyes met Mary's as the light and noise of the television stopped. In the thickened darkness, they looked at each other and listened to their children stumble to the stairway. "'I love you,' Mary whispered at their sounds in the dark. When they were gone, she addressed her husband. "'The kids will be safer down there, hidden away. They won't have access to them.' "'Why don't you go downstairs with the kids, son?' Jack suggested. "'Let me handle them tonight.' "'No, I'm not defenseless. I can protect my family just fine. "'Now get yourself back downstairs and look after my children. "'They're going to need some of them with them tonight.' "'Mary, please,' he said, reaching out to touch her shoulder. "'I can protect us.' "'Flinching back from his touch, Mary glared at him. "'No, no, you can't. "'If you'd wanted to protect us, you would have put the boards up like I suggested.' "'We don't need the boards, Mary,' Jack thought back to the year before "'when she'd insisted that he nail boards on all the windows and doors.' They'd stayed in the boarded-up house for three days. Fortunately, the kids were able to get an online hookup to their classroom, so they didn't miss school. And Jack's writing work hardly had him leaving the basement den, never mind the house. So it hadn't been that much of a hardship. But he couldn't justify using the boards this year. The nuisance was just too much this time. His manuscript was already overdue, and his agent was calling him three times a day, twice less than his editor. "'Yes, we do need the boards. "'The boards were probably the only thing that saved us last time.' "'She crossed her arms and paced the length of the kitchen, "'careful to stay out of touching distance. "'What about Mr. and Mrs. Allen two doors down? "'They didn't board up their house last year, "'and look what's happened to them. "'They're changing. "'They're becoming. "'They may not be consuming flesh yet, "'but you can tell they've started to change. "'You can see it in their eyes. "'Becoming doesn't happen overnight, Jack. "'It has to grow and fester inside them over time.' It's a horrible process of self-induced pain and suffering. Mary, I honestly don't think it was because of the boards. We'll be perfectly safe without them. You're right. The Allens were weak. Ted and Lisa just couldn't resist their supernatural charms and promises of immortality. But they wouldn't have had to resist them had they boarded themselves up inside. She peeked out the window once more. Oh, damn! We forgot to turn off the outside porch light. Quick, get the switch! Get the switch! Jack reached for the light switch. Too late! she cried. Too damn late! A group of them have spotted the light. They're drawn to it like moths, Jack. Like sick, disgusting insects. She swallowed noisily and ran a hand down the side of her face. Looks like I'm going to have to finally face them. Well, at least you and the kids will be safely hidden. Jack stepped forward, feeling guilty. He couldn't even remember the words of comfort he used to be able to find for her when she'd needed his strength. Despite the urgency of the situation, the desperation in her voice... His mind kept wandering back to his unfinished manuscript. No matter how hard he tried, he honestly wanted nothing more than to go downstairs and continue writing. Feeling like a poser, he tried again. Mary, please, go downstairs and let me handle it. 
No, you don't know all their tricks, Jack. They have to be invited in. They can only corrupt those who invite them in. There's no need for all of us to be exposed to their horrors. Besides, I'm the strongest-minded. Maybe they won't be able to convert me into one of them. I should be strong enough to resist them. You're right. Jack sighed. She was right, too. She was one stubborn lady, impossible to sway once her mind was set. He knew that all too well. I know you can do it. I'll go downstairs and wait with the kids. Good luck, Mary. He headed for the basement stairs. Wait, Jack, before you go, promise me something. He paused on the top step. It would kill me to corrupt my own family. But that's what they do. That's how they survive, isn't it? By making others like them? Promise me that if, after this meeting with them tonight, if I become, you'll take the children far away from me. Promise me you'll do everything you can to prevent the kids from becoming. Promise me that. Jack took a deep breath. I promise. A heavy knock sounded through the darkness. This is it. She leaned back against the counter inside. I'll wait a minute and make sure you're safely hidden. I love you. A tear came to Jack's eye. He brushed it away. I love you too, Mary. The words rolled off his tongue like a forgotten language. He quickly moved down the stairs. When Jack got to the den, he closed the door behind him and sat in the armchair near the computer. Susie ran over to him, jumping into his lap and threw her arms around her father. She was trembling. Over the baby monitor, he could hear Mary's footsteps upstairs as she moved to open the door. Turning the monitor off, he frowned in an attempt to suppress a chuckle. It's all right, Susie. It's okay. Mommy's going to be okay. She looked at him questioningly and found courage in her father's eyes and voice. Jack was slightly irritated at how Mary's behavior had frightened their daughter. John understood what was wrong with his mother, but Susie, being four, was still too young to make sense of it. All she knew was that Mommy was scared to death of those Christians. The Christians with their non-scientific belief in life after death, resurrection of the dead, and their weekly consumption of another man's flesh and blood. Mary was a perfect wife and mother in all other respects, so what was so wrong in having one paranoid delusion? It was natural. In fact, Jack based his living on other people's paranoid delusions and fears. Paranoia and fear helped to feed his family. And besides, it was a simple, harmless paranoia. It's not like Mary would ever hurt anyone. Suddenly inspired, Jack put his daughter down and told the children to watch the television in the room across the hall, so long as they kept the door closed and the volume low. He brought his hands down gently on the keyboard, and, smiling, he wrote what he felt would be a satisfying conclusion to the introductory chapter. Irritation occurs in the believer's heart when science or the reason of daylight find rational ways of knocking their beliefs and fears. But given the fact that proving the non-existence of anything is virtually impossible, fears continue to haunt us. We are pursued from out of the night by dreams of the unknown and visions of the unexplainable, the unreal. Even if, one day, proof is given that our fear-created beings do not actually exist, we will probably invent new ones. The doorway to the den opened, startling Jack out of his reverent typing. He looked up as Mary's throaty laugh filled the room. I did it, Jack, she said. I protected my family from them. They're never going to get us now. Mary stood in the doorway, clutching a blood-stained butcher knife, and smiled a bright, white-toothed grin at him from beneath a coat of deep crimson. He looked at her a moment and realized the frightening truth. There were no more monsters out there. Ghosts, vampires, witches, and boogeymen had all been vanquished. 
monsters, creatures of the night, and ghouls had all been conquered, and there was no need to create new ones. The only monsters left were the ones inside our own hearts. The demon thoughts that allowed Mary to obsess over something she was afraid of until the insanity finally consumed her. The spirits of selfishness that allowed Jack to simply overlook her problems because he was too busy focusing on himself and his writing. These personal monsters people never want to face were the only nightmares left. These thoughts, his most brilliant conclusion yet, would never make it to the printed page, because for the first time in eight years, Jack completely forgot about his writing as he got up, went over to his wife, and held her while she wept. From Out of the Night is a story of mine that was published in a magazine called The Darker Woods. It was in issue number two and appeared in February 1997. Wow, that was over 12 years ago. Um, the story is actually older than that because it was originally written in the um, 80s. This is one of my earlier attempts at writing uh, that actually survived and, and graduated from my own personal slush pile. Uh, I was in my mid-teens, and one evening my mother was uh, frantically dashing around the house, closing curtains and turning off the lights. Apparently uh, a group of Jehovah's Witnesses were canvassing the neighborhood. Um, to, to me it seemed kind of humorous because my mom was acting like this was Nazi Germany, and, and they were coming to get us uh, in the middle of the night. Um, or perhaps that there were some sort of flesh-eating zombies out there. Um, and, and I was immediately inspired to start writing this story. So the original story I wrote was actually just trying to play with this concept and the simple fear, and, and it stopped at the punchline. She opens the door, these, you know, wonderfully dressed, very uh, polite-looking old ladies are there, and they're saying, hello, we're from the Church of... And that's how the story ended. Um, then I started to think of the story in terms of science fiction. And then I kept wondering, what if we got to a time and place in our pursuit of science such that metaphysical and religious beliefs, because there was no basis in science, started to become something feared um, because there was so much unknown there and that's just so against the way we look at scientific things so I started thinking about that debate between religion and science and and that's where I had um, the opening sequence uh, and closing sequence of the original story was Mary's husband John who happened to write um, stories about the unknown and the unexplained which uh, I was quite into at the time um, in the 80s reading about Bigfoot and UFOs and Sasquatch and and monsters and the Loch Ness Monster and all kinds of uh, other weird things that uh, would go on. I, I kept thinking about that. And and so the original story was basically just the little buffer of John's opening sequence for the book between Mary's sort of paranoid delusion. And it was just supposed to be, um, you know, a, a joke story. Um, the story was about a thousand words at the time. But when I finished it, I wasn't entirely satisfied. I eventually wanted to learn why would Jack let his wife carry on um, carry on this way. I wanted to understand how he could just let it go. So I turned the religious uh, element in the story into um, Catholicism. Uh, I'm a Roman Catholic myself. Um, and I started to draw parallels between the beliefs of my faith and vampirism. 
so the concept of life everlasting, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And then I worked at making the pretense of Mary's fear a little bit more frightening because there were some real specific elements there. And of course, I was putting clues for the reader um, of, of what the, the punchline was going to be. And then uh, I figured um, I figured Mary might take matters into her own hands. And then I eventually added, tacked on the end, where uh, she grabs a knife and she walks to the door. Uh, and, and I did have that part in the story. And, and then, um, of course, there's the scene where after, you know, the, the conclusion that John makes about these fears in our minds, etc., um, he sees Mary covered in blood. And bam, that was the you know, the sort of the over-the-top second ending uh, for this story. Well, the original editor um, who published the story in The Darker Woods, this was Stephanie Connolly. She loved the story, but then she offered me some really great comments and suggestions that helped me polish the story up. So this was back in 1996. Um, She offered the idea for a rewrite to help me bring the characters uh, home a little bit more, uh, to, to, to help... Um, strengthen that relationship challenge between John and Mary. Um, and then the one thing she mentioned, she didn't like the bloody ending. Um, she felt that the bloody ending didn't actually add to the story at all. So when she published it, she actually left that part out. Um, and I really liked working with Stephanie on this. She was a great editor, and she did help me um, take Jack and Mary's relationship to the next level in terms of uh, the way that I... Um, the way that I delved into the reasoning behind why the relationship had gotten uh, to that state. But then once the story was published, I actually kept rewriting it. I I wasn't satisfied still at that point. I kept working on it. And I re-added the bloody uh, ending, but I wanted it to have a more powerful impact based on the relationship with John and Mary. And, And that's basically that this is the final straw, that it actually takes this for John to actually remember properly um, the importance of his wife and that it's too late and uh, and that's when he finally um, resolves to drop his writing and focus again on his wife and, and that was something that um, that I thought thanks to what this editor did for me uh, even though she didn't like the bloody ending uh, I thought the bloody ending was important not because it's a horror tale but it's not the fact that Mary's covered in blood that's important it's what John realizes is that and it's really what he realizes is that um, uh, the demons and the the fears and all those things we are scared of uh, are nothing compared to what's going on inside of our own hearts and, and that we have to be very very careful to um to not forget uh, the importance of the loved ones in our lives. And so anyways, that was the big giant message that I uh, had to make with the story. The story was republished in my uh, collection, One Hand Screaming, which came out in 2004. One Hand Screaming is still available from all major online retailers as well as through some select retail locations. So if you want to support me, feel free to go ahead and purchase it. I can also sell you a personally signed copy if you email me, mark at marklesley.ca. Go to marklesley.ca for more details on ordering it. Um, The only other thing I wanted to say is that this particular tale from Out of the Night, while one of my earlier written tales, I'd started crafting it when I was quite young, was something that I'm quite proud of uh, having developed over time in terms of the, uh, the, the key relationship and how that really grew out of that funny concept that I had when I was a teenager and I was watching an overreaction to um, 
an incident uh, in my home. Um, that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Prelude to a Scream. Again, I'm Mark Leslie. I'd welcome comments. You can email me, mark at markleslie.ca. Leave them on this blog, which is preludetoascream.blogspot.com. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you come back for episode 12, which will probably be out in another month. Thanks so much. Take care. You've been listening to Prelude to a Scream, podcast fiction by Mark Leslie. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons 2.0 non-commercial, no derivatives license, which basically means feel free to copy it as many times as you want and give it to as many thousands of people you can. Music has been provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day.